Warning, this podcast is rated effed up for profanity, sexual violence, and potentially disturbing material. If I were you, I'd turn back now. And welcome back to the Macabre Academy Part 2, Electric Boogaloo. So we were a page and a half in when Stephanie happened to blow a breaker and not in a fun way. So we are going to start this whole shabangabang over. The broom closet apparently overpowered the fuse. So that was that was fun. Yeah, just do. put a penny in there. You'll be fine. It's, I mean, it's fixed. I, I don't fixed actually do that. That's a bad thing. <laughs> Thank God we weren't like all the way in, or that would have been bad. That, that would have that would have not been not been pleasant. Yeah, we were at just just the tip. Just the see tip. if you like it. Just just to see if you like it. <laughs> Why is my battery on hold? What the fuck? I don't. Know. Anyway, I don't know. But here we are. We're we're starting again. Yes, we are. We're we're back at it for a second time. Okay. All that great banter just gone. Just gone. Just so gone. The the sheer shock and surprise that you have never seen Silence of the Lambs is, is still we haven't a part. gotten there yet. I know. I'm just, I'm right there right now. Spoiler alert. <laughs> All right, Kev, take it away. All right. So how did we start the last one? Oh, right. Uh, Mr. Rogers' wife has died today. Which is still incredibly morbid. Yes. Would you say it's eating at you? Not as much as this case, but yes. Also, (laughs) uh, new statistics out today show that Pennsylvania was number one in sending people to D.C. to participate in the riot. So we're number one. We're number one. I saw that. I saw that a local couple was getting investigated for that on my my facebook feed because i don't watch the news because i hate the news it's it's i'm ashamed pennsylvania you should be ashamed of yourself gotta love pencil turkey pretty much so pretty what are we talking about today for the second time okay so i have to backtrack a little bit last week we talked about the mandela effect Go back and listen to it. Even even if you already have, go back and listen to it. We need the numbers. Fair. In that case, I found that the very famous line, hello, Clarice, from Silence of the Lambs, was never spoketh. It does not exist. It is a a, a interdimensional matrix blip or something that some of us remember it, but it doesn't actually exist in this current timeline and i wish that was this scenario for the case that we're discussing today but what little you know know about silence of the lambs why don't you why don't you fire it away well it premiered on february 14th 1991 oh that's valentine's day yes i was wondering how long it was going to take you to get that i literally didn't know I, for, I just wrote the notes. I didn't even think about it. That's a wow. That would be a date, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would, I guess. I don't know. I haven't seen it. So it was a psychological horror film, and its release shocked the country. 
It was adapted from a Thomas Harris novel written in 1988. The plot is roughly that a young FBI cadet, Clarice Starling, must receive the help of an incarcerated and manipulative uh, cannibal killer. Now, did he kill cannibals or was he cannibal? It's a little hard to tell from your notes. Because it sounds like he killed cannibals, but I'm pretty sure it was the other way around. Because I have seen one of the later movies, and it wasn't that. He is notorious for ingesting his victims, especially with fava beans. And a nice candy. Mm-hmm. I, did, I, I have seen Hannibal a couple of times. Okay, good. But your notes make it sound like he killed cannibals. So I You were supposed to read through the notes and correct them if it sounded Listen, wrong. I read through them twice and I just caught it. Okay, fair. This is the most interaction you've had with notes pre-podcast and I'm proud of you. That's not true. I did write the Nirvana Nirvana episode. True. And the uh, RGB episode. That one was really good. Go back and listen to that one. So Dr. Hannibal Lecter, who did not kill cannibals, but in fact ate people, was helping our young cadet to catch another serial killer, a madman named Buffalo Bill, who skins his victims. Mm -hmm. Buffalo Bill is what made this movie even more shocking. It wasn't necessarily the cannibal part where uh, Dr. Lecter was discussing ingesting his victims. It was a lot of harsh visuals portrayed by Buffalo Bill in the movie. Buffalo Bill basically was kidnapping plump women and dumping them in a well. And one of the most famous scenes is him tucking his junk in, wearing this Shaw thing, dancing around and putting on lipstick. And he's listening to this like weird music and those dogs running around and yapping. And behind him in his basement, there is a pit with the plump girl at the bottom screaming for help. And throughout the movie, he lowers a basket and asks the girl uh, to put the lotion on its skin. And he's intentionally using it to dehumanize her. Yeah, I'm not here to kink shame. Yeah, really. But we're going to kink shame this because it's murder. That's not a kink. Well, then what's the kink? I guess it could be. The dehumanizing thing. Oh, yeah, that's why people wear the rubber suits with the rubber masks. Yeah, I'm so not here to kink shame. Like, right. If you want to get into that, get down with your bad self. 100% appropriate when it's consensual, but he is not following consent rules here. Anyway, continue. I got us off track. It is okay. It's already late. So his intention was to skin the girls to make himself a woman suit. So he's already, and and the film's 1991. Okay, so this movie was criticized heavily by the members of the LGBTQ, whatever it is now, uh, community, okay? I liked when it was shorter. 
but I, I get it. We want to be very inclusive to those people. And I respect you. I just can't remember all the goddamn letters. Okay. Anyway, uh, they claim that Buffalo Bill was portrayed as a bisexual and a transgender, even though the character's sexual orientation is not stated. And Lecter himself describing Bill says he's not really transsexual. He wasn't gay. He was a man tormented who hated himself. And the only reason he wished to be a woman in this woman's skin suit was to remove himself as far away from himself as he possibly could. The the criticism got so wildly out of control at one point that they just started claiming that Jodie Foster, who played the cadet clerk, who played cadet Clarice Sterling was a lesbian portrayal. And it, it was just, it was just crazy. Like, welcome to the 90s. Okay. The real reason we're looking at this movie is because of American murderer Gary Michael Heidnick. He was one of six real-life murderers that Thomas Harris based the Buffalo Bill character on. Okay. And I guess in the 80s, Tom had like gained access to the FBI's new behavioral science unit in Virginia. We love them. hmm? We love them. Yes. They were, we do. They were pioneering criminal profiling of serial killers and murders, which we saw in the Alaskan Butcher Baker. So you can take very little uh, evidence and look at a crime stream scene and extrapolate what kind of person would commit said thing. So it makes it easier to find the perpetrator. What upset me about this case wasn't, well, the case is pretty graphic, like blanket warning right now, but I found it on Murder, Mystery, and Makeup with Bailey Sarian. She is huge in the true crime community, especially among women for putting on makeup and telling these stories. And I did not realize how misorganized the story was when she told it on the YouTube video. It was very disappointing to me. It's like she cut and pasted the timeline into different sections to create a more dramatic story. But if you tell the story sequentially, it is still very dramatic. So I, of course, had to go back and re-research the whole thing. And, you know, several books and documentaries and video clips and shit later, I have come up with a two-part episode correction to her 34-minute video. We don't do things over the top here at all. Mm -mm. I absolutely love when we get patreon requests especially for me to go back and add more information to something that somebody's interested in to go back and research it's a huge honor to be asked to do that Uh, it's like the the attention to detail that i put in matters so i really appreciate you guys supporting my ability to research So, Kev, why don't you give me some background information on Heidnik? Well, because I'm currently texting somebody about trying to make some money this weekend. So give me a second. 
Okay. So he was born November 22nd, 1943. His parents, Michael and Ellen Heidnick, they split up in 1946, which must have been scandalous back in the day. I would think, but what do I know? Extremely. Uh, he was three at the time of the divorce. His mother raised both himself and his younger brother, Terry, for four years until they were placed with the father and a new stepmother for seven years. Now, Gary has claimed that his father was emotionally abusive toward him due to the fact he was a prolonged bedwetter. All his dad knew how to do was ridicule, humiliate, and beat the boys under the guise of discipline. He would become very annoyed and angry when Gary would wet the bed and would hang the soiled sheets in the windows on full display for the neighbors to see, which is a thing, I guess. I don't know. He also painted targets on the butts of their pants and sent them to school that way. I, 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 yeah, could you fathom going to school with a target on your ass? I mean, if you're not a, if you're not a Patreon and watching the video part of this podcast, you really should because my face is kind of annoying. <laughs> As one may expect, Gary avoided his peers at school like the plague to the point where he wouldn't look anyone in the eye. I think what's interesting is that he is receiving humiliation at home and he's avoiding people at school. But I found a snippet where somebody was actually trying to be nice to Gary and he reacted very strangely. One of his female peers decided to discuss an assignment that needed completed for class with him. And just the sheer fact that she addressed him caused him to become enraged. And he screamed in her face that she was not worthy enough to speak with him. Just completely inappropriate altogether. And other people were not very nice to him. He also was receiving unrelenting teasing because he had a oddly shaped head due to the fact that he had fallen out of a tree when he was younger. And always fun. Always fun. So he has this strange behavior, but apparently he was a very good student. So I'm noticing in these true crime cases, we're getting IQs. So he has a relatively high IQ of 148. I don't understand how this makes him smart. Like what's, I don't, I know that sounds fucked up, but I don't understand IQs. I don't, okay, I'm a good student. I got a high IQ, but I'm fucked in the head. Like the first IQ test wasn't actually invented to measure IQ. In 1905, 
French uh, psycho psychologist developed the Binet-Simpson test to identify children who would need individualized help outside of school. Yet as time went on, psychologists refined the test and developed many more tests and started to attribute started to attribute performance to someone's general intelligence. But are IQ tests valid unbiased measures of general intelligence? They didn't start out that way, of course. It was being used to discriminate against racial and ethnic groups, because of course it was. And this ultimately led to the forced sterilization of thousands of people during the eugenics movement. Oh, no. Because of course it was. Why, so, why wouldn't it? What? So why are we still using these tests? There's actually people who study the validity of these tests okay. using, using rigor rigorous statistical techniques. Uh, one person says that IQ tests do have a meaning and are valid measures of intelligence when they're interpreted correctly. In the field of psychology, we do not like, we do not, like we have in medicine, safeguards in place like the FDA. Mm. There's an ethical code, but that hasn't stopped 100 years of inappropriate practices that their field needs to resolve. One of the ways these tests are frequently misinterpreted, according to this person, uh, Dombrowski. Well, that's a good name. I trust a guy with a name Dombrowski, don't you? Like, if you tell me your last name is Dombrowski, I'm going to believe whatever you fucking tell me. You're not wrong. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, I'm Dr. Dombrowski. Okay, I don't, whatever you say, Doc, you're, I'm, I am 100% in on you. Maybe that's something to add to your business card somehow. Yes. <laughs> endorsed uh, endorsed by Dombrowski. No. <laughs> by Ancient so alien them. astronaut theorist endorsed. Dombrowski. <laughs> okay. So like I was saying, one of the ways these tests are frequently misinterpreted, according to Dombrowski, is when any score from the test besides overall IQ is used. Uh, IQ measures the variety of skills like working memory, fluid reasoning, verbal comprehension, and more. So that's kind of where we are there. Okay, so he has these things. Yes, and it can all, apparently it can also change based on context. I was, uh, okay. Witches, I am in love with this family-run business, Mystical Existence, the bath products that turn your ordinary self-care ritual into a celestial experience. As a witch, my bathing habits are sacred, so I was overjoyed to find products that not only smell amazing, but don't irritate my sensitive skin. My favorite scent is Scorpio which was designed with Maggie's daughter and the perfume her mother used to wear at heart. 
All soaps, lotions, and bath bombs are handmade with supplies that are purchased from ethical and responsible manufacturers. A portion of the products are vegan for all you animal lovers out there. As the wheel of the year turns, new products are designed to match the seasons. Currently only available in the United States, you can find Mystical Existence on Facebook, Instagram, or at their website, mysticalexistence.com. For 15% off, use our promo code MACABRE. That's M-A-C-A-B-R-E. All right, so he has reasoning and certain mental acuity skills. Apparently. That would be above average compared to other people in certain areas. Yes. Fantastic. So, uh, Gary's father talked him into enrolling into Staunton Military Academy. So, military school for two years. Uh, down in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Completely failed. Near there. Hmm? Used to live near there. It was right over the mountain. What's interesting is the military academy is now defunct like it is dissipated it no longer exists it was pretty fucking old but the uh vietnam war just crushed it in the 60s and 70s it just went downhill from there unfortunately but gary himself failed to graduate from the school while it was still operational so he leaves military school goes back to public school drops out again So this is an awesome idea. Let's go join the army. So at 17, he joins the army enlists and he lasts only about 13 months. What's interesting here is that his drill sergeant said, hey, he's pretty good. All right, he he excelled in basic training. But when he went to apply for several specialist positions, ultimately he was rejected. It didn't give a reason why, but uh, disappointment there. So Gary goes to Texas and he trains as a medic and he's pretty darn good at that. So he's transferred to the 46th Army Surgical Hospital in Landstuhl, West Germany. And while he's in Germany, he earns his GED. Now he's active at the time and he's complaining of dizziness, nausea, blurred vision, and headaches. Okay. So he was diagnosed with gastrotinitis. Sure. We're going to go with that. that. Do you know what that is? Well, I'm looking at the notes, so I do. However, our audience may not. Right. Do you want to tell me or want me to tell them? It appears to be infectious diarrhea. Yes. I had to look that one up. I was like, oh my God, why don't they just call it that? Because then they can't charge a bunch of money. Fair. What's interesting is this diagnosis, right? The diagnose, not the doctor that diagnosed said infectious diarrhea noted at that time, Gary displayed signs of mental illness, and he went as far as to prescribe an antipsychotic called tri- tri- 
look, he was prescribed an antipsychotic. Let me try this one. With more a time. long ass name that begins with a T and ends with Zine. Yes. Trifluoperzine. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so from here, in October of 1962, he sent to a military hospital in Philadelphia. And this is where they diagnosed him with schizoid personality disorder. Now, SPD, because I don't want to keep saying that, is characterized by a lack of interest in social relationships, a solitary lifestyle, secretiveness, emotional coldness, detachment, and general apathy. Affective, affected individuals, all right, they may be unable to form intimate attachments to others. And simultaneously, they possess a rich and elaborate internal fantasy world. And I'm, I want you to put a pin in this because we're going to come back to it later. Just pin. Now, this caused him, this diagnosis, to be honorably discharged. Not long after, somehow Gary manages to become a licensed practical nurse. He enrolls in the University of Pennsylvania. Fun fact for you, was founded by Ben Franklin in 1740. So this, this shit's old. Now, he found employment after that at the Veterans Administration Hospital in Coatesville. Here, he was terminated for shitty attendance, and apparently he was cruel to the patients. Like, he was really bad at taking care of them. Well, you gotta be cruel to be kind. (laughs) No, it's SPD, but I love that song. It's fine. So, what's interesting about Gary is from August of 1962 until March 1987, he is in and out of menstrual. Yeah, he was he had menstruation. He was in and out of it for that time period. <laughs> Actually, he was in and out of mental institutions as patients. He had attempted suicide 13 times. 13 but apparently he came by this honestly. And by honestly, I mean that it seemed to be hereditary. His mother completed suicide after suffering an abusive relationship, which I can understand when you're in an abusive relationship, sometimes it seems like it's your only way out. Like I can relate. Suicide hotline, talk to us, all that jazz. Like this is serious. It's our pin tweet. Yeah. You need help, pin tweet. Check it out. We have numbers. Yeah, abusive relationship does not mean ending it, but this is what happens. Ending the relationship. Oh yeah, but not like one hundred percent end the relationship. I don't know how bad the relationship would have to be for her to do what she did. In nineteen seventy, she ingested mercuric chloride. It is corrosive as shit. And it can lead to acute kidney failure or damage of the intestinal, intestinal, not testicles. And I'm drinking water. That is worse. That, that's our problem here. Yep. 
gastrointestinal tract. There you and go. If you drink enough of it, it's going to burn all the way down. Like this is not good. That's how corrosive this is. And it can kill in as little as 24 hours in high doses. Also, Gary's brother, Terry, tried three times to commit suicide. So what do you do after you try to commit suicide? I don't know. Start a church. That, 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 that checks out. Yeah, exactly. So the United Church of the Ministers of God, which was- That's a, a long-ass name. Yep. And apparently there's a very similar name to a legitimate church. So if you try to Google this, you're not going to get Gary's church, by the way. You're going to get a real church. But he establishes this church with his brother, Terry, in 1971. And they have like a whopping five followers. Gary decides that he is now a bishop. (laughs) And... This entire church was centralized around disadvantaged African-Americans. Every Sunday, his followers would show up for service in Gary's home. It's not an actual church. It's his house. That makes sense. Right. And the neighbors reported that normally the people who were arriving for service were mentally ill in some capacity. And it was obvious just by how they approached the home, spoke, those kind of things. His church did grow in a way because by 1975, he opened a bank account for the church at Merrill Lynch with an initial investment of $1,500. Then he took those funds to the stock market and grew the funds of the church to over $500,000, which is 1.2 mil in today's monies. That's a lot of monies. It was a lot of monies. And what was interesting is this church was thriving by 1986, even though he himself lived in squalor. Had a couple cars, but he basically treated his front yard like a dump. You gotta love to be that neighbor. Yeah, yeah. Gotta love zoning laws. So much. So much. I mean, zoning um, laws, I'm, I'm, I'm about zoning laws, but maybe that's me. Speaking of laws. Speaking of laws. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of laws? Yeah, speaking of laws. laws. I guess there's laws coming up. Yeah. So, in 1976, 1976, it's 1976. In 1976, Hendrick was charged Heidnick. with, yes, that, that's what I said. That, Gary. That's what I said. Okay. Completely, you completely said that. I definitely did. <laughs> At some point in this podcast, I've said it. <laughs> You'll notice I didn't say when I said it. I just said that I said it. Okay was charged with aggravated assault and carrying an unlicensed pistol after shooting the tenant of a house he had offered for rent, grazing the man in the face. Gary had a child named Maxine Davidson and was born to Anjanette Davidson. She was illiterate and mentally disabled with an IQ of only 48. So the baby was then placed into foster care. 
in 78, Heidnik signed out the sister of his then-girlfriend, Anjanette, her sister being Alberta, is that right? Yep, yep. Uh, from a mental institution on day leave and proceeded to imprison her in a locked storage room in his basement for 10 days after she was found in Gary's home. Scared and covered in blood, she was returned to the hospital where an examination revealed that she had been raped, sodomized, and that she had contracted gonorrhea. Mm. Heinick was arrested and charged with kidnapping, with kidnapping, rape, unlawful restraint, false imprisonment, involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, and interfering with the custody of a committed person. That's a lot. Well, I, I mean, like it was egregious what he did to that poor girl, Alberta. Yes, yeah, see, but I'm always a fan of charging the most you can possibly charge and then getting shit, knock, getting shit knocked off. A lot of times, sometimes they'll only charge, especially in this day and age, if you're white, they'll charge you with one crime to start with and then build. I'm always a fan of charging everything and then knocking things off. Mm. Uh, Gary Hadnick was white, by the way. I assumed. Mm. Because statistically, silly serial killers are. Fair, fair. The original sentence was overturned on appeal, and Heidnick spent three years of his incarceration in mental institutions prior to being released in April of 83 under the supervision of a state-sanctioned mental health program. Gary used... Is that matrimonial? Yes, it is. Gary used matrimonial services to meet his first wife by mail. He wrote to a Miss Betsy Distro in the Philippines for two years before proposing. She arrived in the States in 85, but the marriage was short-lived. Gary did manage to get her present pregnant with his first son, Jesse John Distro. Yeah, that... That was an interesting scenario that happens because this poor woman from the Philippines comes over, marries Gary after he, not knowing any of his past record with falsely imprisoning and sodomizing a mental institution patient. So she did not know what she was signing up for. The marriage was over for several reasons. Number one, she walked into Gary fucking three other women at the same time. That's what he walked into. Just Gary fucking three women. Awesome. And Betty also stated that Gary forced her to watch him fuck other women, which is gross by any stretch of the imagination. After Betty left him in 1986, Heinick was arrested yet again and charged with assault, indecent assault, spousal rape, and involuntary deviant sexual intercourse. So for poor Betty, the only way for her to move, to, to get out of the situation was to move back to the Philippines. And she moved back while she was still pregnant. So Gary did not get his hands on the baby, which is great. 
what's interesting here is that Gary is developing a taste for women he can control. So he decides that he needs to go back to being with mentally deficient women to reduce the risk of being caught. And he's also developing this like superiority complex because he wanted the opportunity to be like the boss or maybe even a god. And so this is where shit really hits the fan. Gary meets a 25-year-old woman named Josefina Riviera on November 25th, 1986. Now she is standing at the corner of 2nd and Garant. She is a local prostitute and she is working to unfortunately feed a drug addiction. She recounts it being cold with the light rain outside and he pulled up and solicited her for sex. So she enters his car and then goes home with him willingly. Now, what's interesting is is she, she says this, she never would go to a John's house. And this is the first time she made an exception to go back to his house. So they wind up engaging in happy doll fun time, consensually, and she begins to get dressed. Now, Gary suddenly grabs her from behind and chokes her unconscious. Then he dragged her down to his basement at his house at 3520 North Marshall Street in North Philadelphia, where he handcuffed her arms together. And then he placed muscle clamps on her legs with a long chain, and he sealed the nuts to the bolts with crazy glue. Now, she says he kept saying, shut up, keep still, I'm not going to hurt you. And he was drying the glue with a hairdryer to try to get it to dry faster. Josephina, of course, was screaming bloody murder. And what Gary had attempted to do was to place her into a pit that he had dug into the basement floor. It was pretty damn shallow because he was trying to seal her into the hole with wooden boards and they were being slammed down repetitively on the top of her head, just trying to get her to fit. Now she says she has asthma. So the tight space of this hole just made her scream more. So what Gary decides to do was to pull her back out by the hair and beat her viciously with a stick until she quieted down so he could get her back into the hole. At this point, he places sandbags on top of the boards to weigh them down. It's indetermined how long she was initially in the hole, but Josephina was taken out of the pit and permitted to walk around the basement, but she was limited by the length of chain that was attached to her feet. Gary decides this is a good time to peace out and leave. And she heard the car drive away. And this is when she's looking around the basement. She's trying to figure out how the fuck am I going to get out of this basement? Because this is pretty surreal. And she noticed a place on the wall that had been nailed shut. She yanked real hard on it and the it, it popped open. And it was a small enough space that she could crawl out and see just enough of the outside. So she starts screaming at the top of her lungs in Spanish and English, anything she could do to get help. 
No, I get the most terrifying thing is you can taste freedom, you're screaming, and then she feels a strong pull on the chain from the inside. It's Gary. So he wrangles her back in the house. He adjusts the chains, adds more super glue, and then forces her back into the ground. She cannot say for sure how long she was in there, but she could hear the radio and it was telling like certain times of the day. What the timeline suggests is three days later, the entire time she's in the hole, Gary returns with a new 24-year-old victim named Sandra Lindsay. Now, Josephina noticed that she was there because she heard another woman crying and Gary is talking to her like, come on, Sandy, why are you crying? You've known me for years. Stop crying. Now, Sandra was added to the same hole and they are both trapped in that pit together at that point. So they begin to talk to one another and Josephina noted that Sandra was a little bit, um, I want to, she called her mentally deficient, basically. But Sandra had explained that she was on a walk to go to the corner store when Gary had pulled up and offered her a ride. Now, he was someone she was acquainted with for four years. They knew each other from the Elwin Institute for Mentally Challenged People, and she had attended his church in his house. She was knocked out, and when she woke up, she was in the house. Sandra also was shackled with the super glue on the bolts in the same way. What's super fucked up is Sandra's mother and sister had gone to Gary's home looking for Sandy. And Gary answers the door and like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And all his mother could report hearing was this rock music fucking blaring. Now she called the police, but the police couldn't enter the premise because Sandra was of age. And what they were, what was explained to me is that there was a, even if there was a possibility that she was there voluntarily, despite having mental handicaps, the police would have had to known a crime was committed before they were allowed to enter the dwelling. That doesn't sound right. It's true though. It's fucked up. It's fucked up. Um, So she was technically of age and the law recognized her as an adult. So they threw out the fact that she was mentally deficient. It didn't matter because she was a functioning adult. So unless she, you know, her mother goes, oh, you know, I, I, I know there's stolen drugs in the house. Go look for that. Like the police need to know that there's a reason to enter. It's all that legal bullshit. I hate it. What was suspicious is that within days, Sandra's mother got a card in the mail with her handwriting and it said, dear mom, don't worry about me. And it was signed by her and her fingerprints were all over it. 
Uh, Gary probably orchestrated this because that made her no longer a missing persons and the police couldn't pursue it anymore. Down in that basement, Sandra and Josephina were slowly being tortured. So they were made to watch in turn as each one would be raped. And what was even more psychologically damning is they're alone in this basement for about a month. And then Gary starts digging the pit bigger. So you can only extrapolate what you have just gone through and you don't know if he's digging a grave or what the fuck he's doing, but that hole is getting bigger. And that is the end of part one. That is what we have time for on this episode. One. So, your thoughts? I, I, mm, it's rough. Mm, it, mm. It, it is, it, it is, it is rough, yes. Are you going to be able to handle another episode of this? Well, I don't really have a choice, do I? I signed up for this ride. Yes. The, we had not had done a true crime case in a while. So this is the one that fell across my lap. So here we are. To lighten the mood, possibly, do you have a weird but true? I do. And I'm going to tell you about James Honest Dick Tate, a a state treasurer who, although he had a good reputation and rapport with his colleagues, one day disappeared with approximately $7 million worth of state funds. Lovely. After sending a few letters to his family, he was never heard from again. Hmm. There you go. So you can steal $7 million and disappear. Apparently. Mm-mm-mm. All right, I need to pick a number. You do. We're at the, uh, the non-offensive Jared that people need to start doing. Okay, my darling witches, it's time for your weekly non-offensive dare. You must be a Patreon to participate so you can earn points for your house. Each month, the house with the most points gets to vote on weekly non-offensive dares, topics of future episodes, and so much more. Each week, Once you've gotten your dare, you must safely and creatively complete a post on social media so that we can see that you've done the task. You can tag us at Twitter at Macabre Academy, or you can tag us on Instagram at The Macabre Academy, and you must include a hashtag with your house name to obtain the points. The world is a fucked up place. These dares are designed to bring silliness and random acts of kindness into the world. You must safely complete your dare. If you are unsafe, your points will not be counted. You can also earn additional points for your house by being the first to submit episode corrections to us at themacabacademy at gmail.com. Also, if we use your ideas or stories in a future episode, more points may be awarded. Let's return to the podcast to see what your weekly non-offensive dare will be. Not a friend. Let's see here. Let's pick a number. I'm going to go with 58. 
we did that one. It's the first one you've ever picked that we've already done. Yeah, it was bound to happen sooner or later. I know. All you're right. so good at picking Let's numbers, though. go 74. We already did that one. We did not. Ooh. All right. This this is this is an easy one, all right? You guys, I, I believe in the Macabre Academy. We can complete these dares, okay? This is it. You ready? It is time to order something new off of a menu of your favorite restaurant. There you go. Support local restaurants. Do takeout mm -hmm. or delivery. But the goal is to try something new from said place. I am going, I'm going to be a hypocrite here because I do not do this, but uh, try to order directly from the restaurant that you make about 30% more. Perfect. All right, so I, when I wrote this, I didn't realize about quarantine. So this is actually really helpful, non-offensive dare. It's spreading joy to local businesses and you get to try something new. There you go. Yeah, so do that. Quit eating the same chicken fingers every time. Come on, guys, you, you're better than that. Why though? Yes. I don't you know, cannot I always, eat like a six-year-old child every day of your goddamn life. Try something I've, new. I've literally ordered the same thing for whatever restaurant we go to. Like I find one thing and I just stick with it. No. Okay. So you're sometimes me and Brandy used to complete the dares to go along with the academy. I think it is your turn to complete a non-offensive dare. Next time I order out, I will probably not do this no do it try something new and tweet the new food out please i'm begging you kev participate i will try i will try my best if if you don't do it what's the incentive for the macabre academy to do it i like what i like so try something new but i might not like it but that's okay no it's not it is fine <laughs> all right i will i will try my best Perfect. All okay, right, guys. let's wrap up part one and then I'll see you in 20 minutes for part two. You got it. All right. Bye, guys. Have a good Bye. week. Bye. Bye. Wait, I lost the button again. This podcast was brought to you by Nerdy Witch in partnership with Sound Maiden. We want to thank all of our wonderful Patreons. For updates, please follow the Macabre Academy on Facebook. Remember to like, share, and listen exclusively on Buzzsprout. Soon, we'll be available wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>